What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast, coming to you live on this Wednesday night. Uh, here with my colleague, Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck, there's a lot of stuff going on in the sports world right now. Oh, what's up, Buckets? It is nice to be back in North Mississippi to record a podcast in my podcast chair, in my podcast studio, as you may I guess any room that you record a podcast in is a studio. So here in my home studio, a.k.a. the den, I'm just glad to be back home uh, to record a podcast and not on the road uh, messing with glitchy hotel Wi-Fi. Go, go, Power Rangers. Yeah, so I'm a fully trained Power Ranger for now until the next training comes up that I need to go to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah glad to have you back where we can hear you doesn't sound like a whisper at the beginning of the podcast but right. got you loud and clear tonight sir yeah mistakes were made uh my full disclosure last week when i was recording remotely in beautiful jackson mississippi my macbook charger decided to go kaput and so i recorded it on my ipad and so if there was any glitches blame apple everything <laughs> i had was apple <laughs> Mm. yeah hard to beat just get old-fashioned mic and computers so we're glad to have you back back in action back like you never left and uh, here tonight to talk about a ton of sports which drew one of our favorite sporting events happened this past week and i think it should be i think we agree on this it should absolutely be a national holiday yeah you know we branded ourselves uh at the start of college baseball season as the premier college baseball podcast, our teams, however, are less than premier college baseball teams at the moment. So, you know, we're the boss of this show, of this outfit. So if we just want to rebrand to a, an MLB podcast, you know, the competition is greater. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so far, the Cardinals have more wins than Ole Miss has in SEC play. And Mississippi State has an SEC play, and they've only played five games. Yeah. So. Same with the Cubs, man. The Cubs have won uh, just three games. Uh, got postponed today. Got rained out today. Big thunderstorm coming across the Midwest, but off to a better start than Mississippi State has been in conference play, uh, including beating a former uh, Mississippi State Bulldog and Brandon Woodruff for the Milwaukee Brewers. But yeah, national day, national uh, opening day should be a national holiday. Everybody should be able to get off. Go to the ballpark, have a drink of choice, a hot dog, enjoy the sights, sounds, and smells of what is the best sporting, in my opinion, if not the best, top two, maybe three live sporting events, and that's baseball games. You know, I've been to some NASCAR races that are a ton of fun. Professional hockey is a lot of fun. There are a few things that get people together, even if you're not a baseball fan, like a minor league, major league, college, whatever, higher level baseball game. And I'll tell you this. The older I get, the more I settle into the lifestyle and enjoy the lifestyle of a baseball game's atmosphere. There is, it's normally, well, especially once you get out of early April and for college baseball, because college baseball starts in February, but once you get out of early April, make it through March of college baseball, and the weather starts warming up, and the grills start smelling good, and you know, the hot dogs taste better, the tea's sweeter. Everything is just better at a baseball field. 
And I feel like that has changed. My point of view on that has changed as I've gotten older. Because I used to want to be right in the middle of the student section of a football game. There was nothing better than the energy and the excitedness of a football game. And whereas I do love football still to this day, love going to football games, my own personality meshes well with baseball. I'd agree with that. It's just that more laid back, enjoying the sights and sounds. You can talk, you can chill. Uh, you got some downtime between innings, but there's just a buzz about baseball games. It's a little bit different, especially yeah. on opening day. And my Cardinals are not off to the best start, but I haven't been more excited about major league baseball than I have been this year in a while. You know, it's a, it's a new era in St. Louis. You've, you had the reunion of Pujols last year, which just pulled at everybody's heartstrings, even non-Cardinals fans. I mean, you can admit, Albert Pujols is one of the greatest ever play, hit 700 home runs. Uh, just, of those 700, I think 559 came against the Cubs. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 500 of them came as a Cardinal. Uh, four, four plus of, 400 plus of them, at least, came as a Cardinal. And so... You got to have him come back. It's the first opening day since 2004, I think, or 2003, where Yadier Molina has not been behind the plate. But they've got a team full of hitters. They've got a team full of guys that you like to root for. And honestly, since Pujols left, they hadn't had the caliber of superstar that they've had with Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. And so another year of them just leading the team. Uh, they hadn't got off to the greatest start. They're two and four. Uh, the first two series been against the Blue Jays, which are good out of the American League. And the Braves have beat us uh, twice in a row to start a series at home. And the Braves the are Braves. good because they're healthy right now. And I'm telling you what, they can flat hit the ball. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Actually, this is probably all the time I'll spend talking about the Cardinals. But I think – it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Have you gotten to watch any Major League Baseball yet? I have. Uh, I've watched some on TV. It's been interesting watching the pitch clock and the hitter's clock and how that's affected the game. There was a the average length of games last year, and I, I don't know the exact numbers. You might have them, but I know it was about a 30-minute speed up with the pitching clocks this year for the games on opening day compared to last year's game average uh, time. Yeah, and it's just made for a much more watchable product for me because it wasn't necessarily the length of the game that bothered me. It's not like I was ready to go to bed, but it's the feeling like it never progressed within the game that bothered me. And so it's been interesting to watch that. It feels a lot more fast-paced. And it's also interesting to see, like, baseball doesn't change. Football doesn't change, really. Not I haven't seen a major sport change as drastically as baseball has changed this year. And so it's cool to watch it happen early on and in person because you're seeing pitchers and hitters learn how to game the system. Max Scherzer is the funniest pitcher in the world now because he's just standing on the rubber, catching Rip. the ball, standing on the rubber and waiting and making that clock start and just using it as a way to make hitters completely uncomfortable. Yep, and he'll either pitch it immediately – 
or wait until the last second to throw the pitch. And it's, me- it's still a good way to mess with hitters' timers. Don't forget timing. Don't forget there's also the rule change on the base path. And it was a uh, it was evident today that it played a factor in the Braves-Cardinals game. Ronald Acuna was on first. And I forget who was pitching for the Cardinals today, but he picked Miles over. Miles He picked mm-hmm. over twice today. And you only get two attempts. And if you get a third unsuccessful pickoff attempt, the batter get or the runner gets to advance the base. Right. And so he picked off a second time and Acuna got up and looked at his coach and the first base up and said, that's two, right? They said, yeah, that's two. And he said, all right. And on the next pitch, as soon as he came set, He's off, off he went. And he stole base, <laughs> stole second base by about 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> it. I told you that was one of the things I was looking at with the pitch over. I think that could affect the outcome of the game more than balls and strikes because pitchers aren't going to be able to keep runners honest by the continuously picking off or pick off attempts at first base or any of the bases really and so you can't keep that runner honest by repeatedly doing it i know in uh who was i i was watching Ole miss play vanderbilt and you know enrique bradfield jr the leadoff hitter all-American stud, the fastest man I've ever seen run bases in my life. Weighs 100 pounds soaking wet. Right. He's always on first base. It's mind-blowing to me how we constantly had him on first base. And uh, we'd pick off seven or eight times. I mean, just to keep him from getting that extra step to steal a base or because a ball in any gap, even – not even to the wall, he's scoring from first. And so if you can get that extra step to keep him keep him from taking that extra step, it can go a long way, and it's vital. And so in Major League Baseball, that is very interesting to see how that's going to do because fast guys are going to steal a ton of bases. And we that's could. exciting for me mm-hmm. because baseball has been nothing but strikeouts and home runs for a decade, it feels like. Yeah. And Haley made the comment to me the other day, she was like, college baseball is great because there's a lot of singles. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's true because you always got guys on the base paths. That's what makes baseball exciting. Home runs yeah. are exciting, but striking out 200 times in a season is not made yeah. good for a good baseball. Right. We, we really could see the return of some 50, 60, 70 stolen base guys that we haven't seen in a decade because of these new rules and the guys getting on base, the opportunity to move up. It takes away, you know, baseball purists want to whine and talk about it. it takes away a lot of the strategy. But in my opinion, it brings in a whole different strategy because you right. have to be selective with your pitch outs and you have to be selective with your pickoffs. You have to know the timing of, of the clocks. And so it's a whole different strategy which is like you said earlier, I've never seen a sport change like this outside of maybe some motorsports with things that they did, but like it's bringing in a whole new era of the game. That's going to change it completely. And like we've talked about on this podcast, I've said a, n- a number of times, if it gets more fans of baseball, then then I'm here for it because it's going to attract a different clientele, a different crowd that's going to watch it. that may not have watched it before, because like you said, and like Haley said, there's more activity. You get more people on base, you get more things to, you know, move the game along, it might generate some more interest. Right. And one of the things that you're going to have to, the thing about the baseball purists, and I get it, if you want to, one of the things that's great about baseball that's different about NBA and NFL is that you can kind of compare these players with players 100 years ago. It's the same game, same rules, it's the same game. You know, you always hear back for baseball. It's you, 
since the live ball era, this player has done this. You know, that's the, you know, in football, it's the, uh, it's the stats errors. Since since they started recording sacks, Refrigerator Perry is ex, you know, whatever. You know, uh, Michael Strahan is the sacks leader since sacks became recorded stats. <laughs> and so we actually are seeing right now a line in the sand, and we can look from th- we need to look from this point forward differently than what we look at this point backwards. Like that, it did change the game. And if all you care about is the game staying the same, well, then rightfully this should make you mad. I would argue yeah. that the game as it was was flawed and was not gaining any more fans. And this is good for baseball. Yeah, my argument would be welcome to the 20th century or you know 21st century. Like we're moving the game along, bringing in a new crowd, younger crowd, TikTok generation. They like short, sweet things that they need to be you know quick, quick, quick through. And so this is an opportunity to bring in new fans and revitalize the game because Rob Manfred hasn't done a ton to do that so far in the last few years. Well, and baseball is doing what the NBA has done. They're making decisions based on television money, and that's baseball is a sport that is enjoyed best in person that's been its whole billing you know it is the greatest sport to watch in person which is why they do all these big blackouts and which is a whole another conversation which which is going to be my next point you've made this now more appealing for television for folks like me in north mississippi or you in south carolina that don't have a major league team close it it's necessary for me and it's important to me that i'm able to enjoy watching it on tv and I've never been able to truly enjoy the whole broadcast. You know, it's it's like The Office. You know, you put it on when you're doing chores. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's filling the empty space in the room, you know, and then you catch it every once in a while and you don't miss anything. So they have made this better for TV. So the next thing they've got to do is get rid of these blackouts because there's no reason in the world why in North Mississippi I cannot watch the St. Louis Cardinals on national television. Yeah, it's, I it's agree stupid. 100%. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, here we are. Uh, I'm in South Carolina. I am six hours from the nearest professional baseball team. And, and I can tell you a lot of Braves games are blacked out here, thinking that a six hour is six hours. So when I'm going to drive six hours, watch a three-hour game, and drive six hours back home on a right. Tuesday night, that's not going to happen. No, it's the same distance for me to get to, uh, to St. Louis, you know, or Atlanta for that matter. It's about five and a half hours either way. Yep. And so – They've got to fix the blackout thing. They've got to find a way to make baseball players and highlights more accessible to social media and to spread, you know, because that's another thing the NBA does incredibly well is they market their players. It's a player's league. And baseball, for the first time in my lifetime, probably the first time ever, they've got real characters. They've got people with a lot of swagger and a lot of And bona fide superstars. Right. And, I mean, even guys like Jazz Chisholm for the Marlins, he's on the cover of MLB The Show, and nobody knows who he is. But if you just watch him, if you watch Juan Soto or um, what um, the short Tatis for any of – I mean, shoot, any of the uh, Padres, yeah. Machado, Tatis, Acuna, these guys have so much swagger, and they can be billed as such superstars. You're paying them like superstars. Let them have a fan base. Mike Trout could walk through this world and nobody would know who he was. Uh, you took you took the words right out of my mouth. I couldn't agree more. Mike Trout is known by such a small population of baseball purists because we recognize that he's one of the greatest hitters that we've ever seen in baseball and definitely back to some of the old hats back in the day. 
Um, you know, we've got our first real true two-way player in Shohei who, I mean, nobody really knows what he looks like because they're buried in Anaheim. And so I can't Yeah, and on the West I, Coast where nobody wants right. to step and watch their games. Right, because the first pitch for me here on the East Coast is 10 o'clock, and we all know it is well-documented. My bedtime's 930. I yeah, ain't sticking he, up for that. I was going to say, Rusty is in bed 30 minutes before they even throw the first pitch. Mm-hmm. They they have not sang the national anthem, and Rusty is asleep. Hey, I am in my first <laughs> rim cycle. That is no secret. But, yeah, man, hey, speaking of the Marlins, did you see those clean throwback jerseys they wore the other night? No, I didn't. I have, Oh, my I gosh. Have seen, I, I do kind of keep up with the Marlins uh, from a distance. I kind of stat watch because their opening day catcher is a fellow by the name of Nick Fortes, who um, is an Ole Miss graduate and uh, played for Ole Miss for a for several years, um, and so when an Ole Miss guy makes it to the major leagues, I have to watch because we don't have too many of them. Well, look it up right now while we're while we're chatting about it. They, y'all, if y'all haven't listeners, if y'all haven't looked them up, Google Florida Marlins throwback jerseys 2023. They That's went back to the 90s. Rusty, yeah, they're the Miami Marlins. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, excuse me. The Miami <laughs> Marlins now. So. The 2023 Miami Marlins throwback. They went back to the pinstripes with that Miami green. Oh, yeah, so, with the so Miguel good. Cabrera. Yeah. Jerseys. The yeah, Dominic Wilkins jerseys from back in the day, man. Those looked so clean the other night, even with that gaudy logo on the sleeve that they wore. But they looked so clean the other night. Yeah, they're they're good. And I'm I'm going to do better about Major League Baseball this year. I Major League Baseball is a sport to where i watch my team i don't really watch anybody else and i don't really know you've got to really cross a major superstar threshold before i realize who you are so i'm behind on a lot of the really good players you know like yeah. i'm not, not really aware of a lot of them uh and so i'm going to do a better job of keeping up with major league baseball this year especially as the nba season winds yeah. down I just think there's just so many superstars and things to watch. And I'll watch games of, like, I'll watch the big rivalries, right, when the right. Red Sox and Yankees. Subway Series. Yeah. Right. You know, I'll watch those big rivalry games. But you're right. Like, I'm going to do a better job this year watching it. But, um, listen, we've got another thing coming up that is a great background sports filler that's given us some phenomenal moments over the years. It is nap watching at its peak. I mean, you've got things like the Amen Corner. You got Jim Nance with his smooth tones talking you through a, a 28 foot putt, or Tiger uh, laying out trying to hit in from 180 and he hits. You've got hits. holes like dogwood and tea lily and red fern. Or <laughs> for what? For those of you who don't, you got pimento and cheese sandwiches for a dollar fifty. You've got candy for a dollar. For all the dummies out there, tell them what we're talking about. We're talking about the one and only masters at augusta national it is masters week which drew and i you we we share an affinity for a local sports personality in memphis by a guy named chris vernon and one of my favorite traditions around the masters is his master song what's going on at augusta yeah and so uh coming up and i'm fired up (laughs) yeah so uh shameless plug to one of our uh podcast heroes chris vernon if you get a chance tomorrow and i think they start the show at noon it's live streamed on youtube or you can get the podcast version later i highly recommend getting on youtube and watching it because they will do masters updates and it's tongue-in-cheek because the masters is so prim and proper and 
they don't have fans. They have patrons. And like he said, Jim Nance talks in a small uh, elevator voice, you know, and it's just so smoothing and relaxing and so proper and fathers and sons. And, and they just lay down a beat and wrap <laughs> the leaderboard. And it's in these hysterical. big sunglasses and yeah. feather boas and, and leopard uh, robes and just what's going on at Augusta. Yeah, and they wrap the updates from Augusta and it's, it's hilarity. So, Taylor's brother, Bowen, who's from there, born and raised in Northern West Virginia, came to me and he was like, Hey, you're a Grizz fan. He said, uh, you're, you know, who Chris Vernon is. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. How do you know Chris Vernon? He goes, I love his master's songs. Right. I love his master's update. And I'm like, man, he's going global. If they know everybody yeah. in the sticks of West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. And it's gone super viral mm -hmm. in the last few years. And so y'all check that out. But as far as me and buckets go, uh, I've told you before we drafted, you know, we've drafted our favorite sporting events and I believe you took the masters right out from under me. Um, it is peak golf watching and golf watching is something I do four times a year. You know, it's the majors, uh, really three times a year. Cause the British open is not on at a reasonable at hour. A reasonable hour. <laughs> uh, and so three times a year I'm watching golf and on Sundays at least. And so this is like the, the peak of it. And so I'm really excited about it. The, I wish they wouldn't do it on Easter weekend. That's the, yeah. the it's nice on Friday cause I'm off on Friday. So maybe I can watch a lot of golf on Friday, but I really want to watch on Sunday and Easter Sunday, you know, the obligations, you know, you, you're not close with your like distance proximity. wise, close proximity to your family. So you, you may be able to get to watch, but we're planning on going to my mother-in-law's and I know we're going to be hunting Easter eggs and I'm just going to be thinking in the back of my head. like, wonder what's going on at Augusta, <laughs> you know? It's actually updates because I'm yeah. going to be perched on this couch here. It's supposed to start raining uh, Friday afternoon and rain till Monday morning here at the beach. So uh, no beach weather this weekend. So I will be parked on my couch. And when I wake up, I'll send you updates about where we're at. Because, Drew, there's always a story with the Masters, whether it was one of my – we've talked about this. I talked about this when I picked the Masters. One of my favorite Masters memories was being at Gordon Beers here in Myrtle Beach when Tiger won it just a few years ago. Yeah. Like everybody was glued to the tv we had finished eating i think going to a movie or something and like wrapped it up and then all migrated to the bar because like you knew this was a moment and just the levity of it with all the stuff tiger's been through you know there's been bubba watson there's been these different stories you know guys making a run will zalatoris a couple years ago in his first masters just dominating all the way through the final day you know this year there's a lot of guys that can win it from scotty scheffler brooks kepka's getting hot it's a wide open field, in my opinion, this year. John Rahm, you know, Spieth has always got a shot. I never count out Tiger, even though he's not the Tiger of old. But there's something about when he steps through the gates at Augusta National that he he, he thinks he's 19 again. But I'm excited about this weekend. I don't really have a ton of plans this weekend other than church on Sunday. Right. So I'll be watching me some golf this weekend. And Yeah. Yeah, the biggest storyline this year is the live guys. Yes, so, yes. All the guys, Patrick Reed and Bubba and Phil and DJ and Brooks Kepka, yeah. all those guys are returning for their first tournament after leaving the PGA Tour. The Masters let them come back uh, because they've qualified. The Masters are weird. We can get into PGA versus private events. This is a tournament that is the field is set by the masters 
And so if you're a former winner, you have a lifetime invite to it. And then everybody else, you have to be top 50, I believe. Right. And so this is not one of those where the PGA Tour can flex its muscles and say, no, you left us, so you're done. The Masters said, no, you can play. Yeah. And so it's going to be really fun watching that leaderboard. And if we can get a Sunday pairing between like Rory yeah. and, and Patrick Reed or Rory and Dustin DJ, Johnson, yeah. the, you know, the vocal right and the vocal left of for and against live. I mean, it would be, it would only be muffled in comparison to if tiger made a run. That's the only thing that could supersede this, this war that'll play out this week. Cause you took my point from me, man. Rory McIlroy has been the most vocal. He's been talking all that noise about live this, live that, you know, we're playing the true tournament. We're playing in the true leaderboard here. You know, PGA is where you're supposed to be. And now it's time to put your money where your mouth is, man. You talked a lot of smoke for somebody who's got to play some of the best golfers in the world at a tournament that he historically has not done overly well at. We'll see. Yeah. And so, uh, tomorrow, uh, for those that want to keep up, the first tee off is at 8 a.m. and I believe that's going to be Eastern time, so 7 a.m. Central for all of us in God's country here in the correct time zone. <laughs> 8 a.m. Uh, with Mike Weir and Kevin Na. So I mean, don't wake up for that. Kevin uh, not but bad. then, of of note, former champion Sergio Garcia, also a live guy tees off at uh, it's good for an epic meltdown on a yeah. hot mic right uh he is at 9 12 patrick reed infamous villain and live golfer at 9 24 one of the worst and, golfers on the tour but one of the best paid i mean he's got multiple i mean he is the easily the most hated golfer of all time but he backs he wins the he wins when it matters uh, he tees off at 9:24. Bubba, two-time Masters champion and live golfer, at 9:48. Uh, he tees off with Seamus Power, which is one of the greatest names in the field. Had two aces in the par three today. Yeah. Um, Tiger Woods is teeing off with Victor Hovland and Xander Schauffele. So that's Ooh, a really a solid great. pairing there at, yeah. at 9:18 uh, local time, 10:18 Eastern. Yeah, sorry for my uh, my my 10 a.m. 11 a.m. patience. I'm gonna have that pulled up. Yeah, um, a good group to watch. Uh, 10 10:42, 942 Central. Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and Cam Young. Great, great. Yeah, and then Cameron Smith, Hideki Matsuyama, and Sung J M at 10:54. Three totally different swings and styles, but that'll be an interesting one to watch as well. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, Zach Johnson, Jason Day, and Gordon Sargent, which is an amateur, is at 12:48 Eastern. DJ Corey Connors and Justin Rose at 1:12. Um, Scotty Scheffler, our homie Max Homa, and an amateur Sam Bennett at 1:36. And uh, See, the second to last group to tee off is Roy McIlroy and Sam Burns. And the last one is Jordan Spieth, Tommy Fleetwood, and Tony Finau. Where would he be now, Tony Finau? I love Tony Finau. uh, I'm going to be glued tomorrow. I'll be honest. It's Like you said, it's supposed to be raining all day here tomorrow, too. So I'm going to be in the office doing, you know, computer work. And I'm going to have it up on screen. Just just browsing the Masters the way you're supposed to with it on 
TV too. Yep. You know, until Sunday. Yep. I'm going to take my laptop, my spare laptop here that I'm recording on, have the Masters queued up, and be watching that all day while I'm trying to work. Well, but Tell you what, we know one of us is a doctor. He just said spare computer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got two computers, guys. <laughs> yeah, instead of Kevin Gates having two phones, I got two computers over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll st- you know, moving on along, man, another big event. We're wrapping up March Madness. Drew, what an epic Final Four and then not so epic championship game. It was well decided by halftime. UConn was just a bunch of bullies and they just stymied. That was like the, I think I read that was like the eighth or 10th, like eighth or ninth time they've held a team under 35% shooting. It was San Diego State's worst shooting, second worst for shooting performance of the year. Absolutely dominated for 40 minutes, left no doubt who the national champ was. And absolutely worked San Diego State. After what was a great Final Four, Miami was competitive for the first three minutes against UConn. But that uh, San Diego State-FAU game will go down in NCAA lore as one of the greatest Final Four games to watch. You know, know, I was was, was reading reading that. that. I'm coming through on your mic. mic Back up just a little bit. bit. Sorry, guys. guys. A little inside inside baseball here. here. (laughs) So, I was reading reading that. that. We good? I think uh, so. Testing. Okay. Sorry, guys. Just bear with us here. We're trying to. I'm trying to get worked back into the the home studio. Drew so, said in a text message over the weekend that we are the redneckiest podcast y'all probably listen to. So yeah. just bear with us. Yeah. And uh, so I was reading. I'm gonna start this this sentence for the fourth time now. <laughs> I was reading this weekend that that shot, the San Diego State oh. shot to beat FAU, was the first time in Final Four history that a game-winning shot was made when the with time expiring when it wasn't a tie game. So it was the first time that a team was down, went ahead, and won the game as the clock expires. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because two years ago, you remember Gonzaga beat you or had that Hail Mary from half court. Jalen Suggs hit that Hail Mary from half court. But that just tied the game. Mm. So that's what... It was the first time in NCAA tournament history that the losing team won the game on a last-second shot, go-ahead shot. So it's it was cool. also it was also almost on the same exact square that that kid, oh his name just left me from Villanova, hit the game-winning shot. Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins against North Carolina in Houston, same side of the court, same elbow, almost the exact same spot. That he hit that game winner to win the national championship. Well, that was actually uh, so Chris Jenkins. That was the Gonzaga play. I don't know if you're that's that's the one you're referring to, the Gonzaga game winner. Uh, I can't remember who it was against, but Chris Jenkins. That was the he inbounded it. They ran up court and he threw it back and he shot like a 35 foot three to win it. And that was a tie game, and he went ahead. So if he missed it, they're going overtime. Hmm. Um. But I think I need to go back and amend something I said last week and no. kind of apologize. Yeah, I'm gonna, but I, I am uh-huh. correct. I was that was I was right. It was the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater three gives Villanova the victory over North Carolina at the same exact location. Yeah, and uh, it was in Houston. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I need to apologize because I told you that I was right unoriginally. You remember I said that March Madness is great for the first weeks, and then I want the Blue Bloods. You took my notes away from me. I was going to ask you about that. (laughs) Yeah, and then I amended it to say 
these this was good for basketball that you've got an eight five matchup in the final four and then a four five matchup on the other side. I just could not make myself care about that game, that <laughs> final game. I couldn't. I saw UConn, and I, I hope UConn doesn't get a demerit look when you look back and they're like, oh, well, they just played San Diego State. There was a bunch of upsets. They didn't get to play the top dogs because I believe UConn was the best team in the tournament by far. Even the teams that got beat that, you know, if they would have not gotten beat, I like UConn's chances. That team was incredible. However, maybe FAU would have gotten me a little bit more excited than San Diego State, but San Diego State-UConn just did nothing for me. I wanted to be excited about it, and I wanted to say it was good for basketball because I believed it at the time. But then when the rubber met the road, man, I just could not get excited about that game. And I was right because it was a bloodbath, and it was not fun to watch when I made myself watch it. Yeah. You know, that was UConn's fifth title game since 1999. They're one of the Blue Bloods. You got one of your elite-level yeah. programs, even though they were a four-seed or whatever. They had they, they still had that pedigree, and they obviously had the better players. They were bigger at every position, particularly in the paint. That Jackson kid could absolutely just flat play basketball. Uh, and the Sonogo kid is just a handful. He's a bully, man. Yeah. Such a bully. And then Klingon was just a, a load down low, nothing else. He was just big. Right. And San Diego State didn't have any answers for that. I, I, full disclosure, I went to bed at halftime because I saw the writing on the wall and knew what was happening. And I kind of got that feeling going into the Final Four that the only team that might beat UConn was Miami. Yeah. And, and they looked lost. <laughs> and they looked awful. And yeah. it just, I mean, it didn't do much for me. We do have a winner of our bracket, though. We do. A clear-cut winner. Yeah, the winner by 50 points is HandBB24. So HandBB24 yeah. uh, picked UConn to be in the finals but lose to Arizona. And I don't have any idea who this is. <laughs> I ain't got a clue. We want to send you a shirt. So, Hand BB24, please identify yourself. I will design a shirt for you. We will send it to you. Uh, you've got to promise to make a social media post of you wearing it because I want to see it. Um, and we want to know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to identify yourself. So, we're going to, we're not just going to rely on you listening to the podcast. We're going to put this out on social media and let everybody know, like, hey, if you know this person, identify them. You see something, say something, you know? Yeah. And, uh, We grow as a community. We grow as a community. But, Drew, they've already released the way too early 2023-2024 college basketball poll that CBS always does. Local Memphis talent Gary Parrish wrote this article releasing the top 25. Biggest movers were Creighton moving up 20 spots, Houston moving down 14. Your top five for next year are your UConn Huskies. Purdue Boilermakers, Marquette, Miami, and FAU are your top five. Ooh, they put FAU in their top five. They're That's really reactionary, but yeah, I they get return it. a I mean, lot. They yeah. potentially could return a lot if they don't transfer out. You got Creighton at six. Your first SEC team is Alabama at seven. Arkansas twelve. Kentucky thirteen. Tennessee sixteen. AM nineteen. Auburn twenty second. And ooh, what is this? Mississippi oh, State. Twenty fifth. Oh wow! I'll tell you what, nothing <laughs> more accurate than a 
a, a basketball pole a week after the season ended. <laughs> hey, but we're in it. That's all I can say. That's, you know, that's fair. We got, some, we got some somber um, news about Mississippi State with Tolu Smith has entered the draft, but he is not signing an agent to keep his college eligibility. That happens a lot in college mm-hmm. basketball. I know that uh, old, former Ole Miss great Terrence Davis did the same thing, and he ended up staying in the draft and got signed as a free agent. Matthew Morrell, our best player this year, has done the same thing mm-hmm. where he is going – basically, if you don't sign an agent, you don't take any money from – whatever you know you're still can go work out and do all this stuff and maintain your eligibility for the NCAA right. and for an upperclassman it's smart you know it, it's a no-brainer why not unless you're like a top 10 top 15 pick it is the absolute right move to make just to get an assessment see where you're at because you're going to tell you what you need to work on and what better place to work on that if you're not going to go to the g league than right back where you were in a system that clearly works for you because you're getting noticed and use it to your benefit and drive up that NIL dollar. That's what I was talking about that with somebody just yesterday. Like that's, what's going to help these kids coming back. Used to the draw was I'm going to the league cause I got to get paid. Right. Well, a lot of these guys now, unless you're a top 40 talent, you're going to get paid more in college with these NIL deals, particularly like Talu Smith at Mississippi state or some of these, these guys at these smaller programs were like, you're the stud, like you are the one of one on that campus. And so get your money as a college student instead of going ahead to the league where you're going to actually, you might end up taking a pay cut. Well, and that's the reason why you've got players like Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. And um, I forget the the guy's name from uh, North Carolina, the all-time, I think he's the all-time leading scorer at North Carolina. Yeah. Um, back, yeah. Uh, um, back Baycott, Armando Bay- Baycott. Yeah, yeah that's him. it. They're coming back to school, and it's not because, you know, they love college. It's because they've got a second-round grade, and if they go to the NBA, chances are they're going to get a two-way deal. And then you can go to Gonzaga, and it's been rumored that he's making like a million dollars a year. And so it's a shorter season. You can stay healthy, and then you can always, anytime he's ready to go to the NBA, he can go be a two-way and prove himself. But you yep. don't have to do it right now. Yeah. It it, it increases your money-making years, honestly, because yeah. he's going to make more money at Washington, I mean at Gonzaga, and Armando Bacon's going to make more money at North Carolina than they're going to make in their first two or three years in the NBA. Yep. On a per-year basis, anyway. That's what I'm saying. Like, just stay, get your money, get your free Raising Canes or whatever else sponsorships you get. And be in a car commercial, man. Make your money right. in college. So, Tolu Smith, I know you're a big fan of this show. If you're listening, come back to start. We'll <laughs> stay one more year. <laughs> yeah. Go to Ole Miss. We're looking no. for transfer. We're, no. we're looking for portal, guys. Yeah. So. But, hey. Uh, all right. So, uh, that puts a bow on the college basketball season. March Madness as a whole. We're, just as a whole, it was an outrageous success. You. I t- I've told this podcast these podcast listeners many times. I root for chaos, mm-hmm. and there was chaos we in got bunches. It, <laughs> you know, we had a 16 upset of one. We had a 15 upset of two. We had a nine seed in the final four. We had a five seed and a four seed in the final four. And I mean, the championship game. We had the, a. Yeah. We had a. I'm pretty sure we had an online. I'm not going to steal a tweet from not Kenny Rogers on Twitter, but we. I'm pretty sure we had an online school whose basketball team met in the parking lot prior to the game, upset Virginia and Fairleigh Dickinson. <laughs> yeah, and so it was incredible. 
And so it was a very successful March campaign. I wish they would have stuck the landing better selfishly. Um, But I believe ultimately you ended up with the right champion regardless of how you got there. Yeah. UConn will always hold a place in my heart. When I was in PT school, I picked UConn to win the national championship in our, in our class bracket. And it was the Kimba Walker year when they got hot in the Big East tournament. Cardiac Kimba. Yeah. Uh And if UConn didn't win, I was going to finish like eighth or ninth because it was just terrible. But if you, I was the only one that had UConn in the Final Four championship and as my champion. And Cardiac Kimba won me a hundred bucks, so I will always have a soft spot for UConn and Kimba Walker in my heart. That shot that he hit to win oh the Big East gosh. championship oh game in Madison like Square Garden, fifty where, feet, just when he just crumbled the guy at the top of the key on a crossover and hit the buzzer beater. It's one of the all-time great. Yeah. college basketball buzzer beaters of all time mm. so absolutely that's, that's what i've got about college basketball but we've got big news in the nba front it's a Steve parade Pitt. inside my city yeah it's a parade inside my city yeah uh as skip bayless would say um <laughs> the memphis grizzlies are headed to the playoffs Woo-hoo. and it's something that we knew what we did not expect though was Last night, they cemented their second consecutive 50-win season, which is huge. I mean, anytime you can win 50 out of 82 games, that is a season that you will remember forever. Mm-hmm. It's a great season. They also set the franchise record for most home wins with 36, right? Five. 35. 35. So 35 out for of 30. 41 wins. Home games were wins, and for that's a city the that association per- this year, yeah, that's the best in the NBA. And for a city that reps their team as hard as Memphis reps the Grizz, for them to show out like that on their home court is just incredible. We didn't lose a home game from February seventh until March twenty eighth. We won every game from February seventh to March twenty eighth. We lost on the 29th in a back to back, but. Like we just absolutely held home court. That's why those top two seeds are very important for us to get because we're better at the forum. Right. And it, just impressive basketball considering Drew, like we've, we've talked about, uh, we could go back, go back on this, this show about three or four weeks ago and we're the most downtrodden. I think we talked about the Grizz for about eight minutes that night because that was, we had lost Steven Adams. We had lost BC. Ja was going through his stuff. Like the season was over. And we were like, we were going to land, what, maybe in the play-in game at this point? And for us to overcome all that adversity, to still be in the hunt for the second seed, to have the best home record in the association, and just be a team that nobody wants to play right now, when you got Nuke Kennard hitting threes from all over the court, Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing his best basketball, Uh, Steven Adams is getting an MRI this week, fingers crossed, we're a dangerous team. Yeah, so... The Grizzlies, their magic number is two to lock up the two seed, which they've got three games remaining. If you win two of them, you're guaranteed the two seed. And that number changes if Sacramento were to lose, then the magic number is one because they are the three seed. The Grizzlies are currently two games up on Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And so that two seed is great because, one, you're going to get a team out of the plane, and we'll, we'll talk about the playoff picture in just a minute. But the most important thing is you will have home court advantage if and until you face Denver, the one seed. So if Denver happens to get ousted, you know, there's some there's some good teams on the bottom half of this 
this these standings here in the West that Denver could run up against, including a second round matchup with possibly Phoenix. Mm-hmm. That would, if Denver gets ousted, we are the home we've got right. home court throughout. And that happens, right? Because the clear cut best teams in the NBA in most people's opinions, are in the East. It's the Celtics and 76ers, but the West is deeper. And the Bucks. And the the Bucks are the best team in the NBA. Yes. And from top to bottom, though, the West is deeper because you've got teams like the Warriors, the Lakers in a play-in game, the Pelicans when they're healthy. You know, you've got these really good teams from top to bottom, and so not a lot of teams you want to face. You certainly don't want to be facing them on the road, so we need to lock up that two seed so we can have home court because Denver is notorious for getting bounced early, and I'd rather play Phoenix at home in a a Western Conference final scenario than I would having to go to you know go to Phoenix. Yeah, for the exact same scenario that we just talked about. The Grizzlies are thirty five and six at home and they're currently fifteen and twenty three on the road. Exactly. So, um let's just set the stage. Uh we have real quick every team I got, I got one okay, thing go real quick go before ahead. we get there. One thing I want to talk about. What's been our biggest struggle since Steven Adams has been out of out of our lineup? Oh rebounding. Rebounding. So I read the stat today, the Steven Adams stat account, which if you listen to this podcast, please, we want to have you on here. We're a Steven Adams stan account, just like you are. If you're listening over there in New Zealand, give us a shout out. We want you on the podcast. But Steven Adams hasn't played an NBA minute since January, but still leaves the league in most games played with seven or more offensive rebounds with 12, eight or more Offensive rebounds with seven, nine or more in four games, 10 or more in four games, and 11 or more offensive rebounds in two games. Right. Wow. We need Steven Adams back to help with our rebounding woes, particularly with that little tap back or that little put back shot that he has made a career on, especially since coming to Memphis. Steven Adams, get well soon. Yeah. And it's going to be a true. 50-50 shot from what I've read. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of those things that's going to get kicked down the road. If his MRI is clean, he's going to play. They've held him out long enough to be precautious. If it's good, he'll play. If it's not, he's done. Yep. yep. Xavier Tillman, is- up until last night, he had a dreadful game last night. Uh, yeah. But he has been incredible. Uh, he's going to give you everything he's got, which is really what all you can ask out of somebody like right. Xavier Tillman. And it's the reason why I love him because you know he's going to give it everything he's got every time. Absolutely. Uh, he's going to have to really set the tone and sell out to rebound in the playoffs if Steven Adams can't come back. Yeah. But the Grizzlies offensively have been incredible. They've hit a stride without Steven Adams that I didn't think they could hit. Right. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how it works. And honestly, it's going to depend on the matchup more than anything. Steven Adams, if a team goes small against us, the way Minnesota did last year, with Towns playing out wide, playing beyond the three-point line as their seven-foot center, that really limits Steven Adams' effectiveness anyways. So it's going to matter a lot about the matchup anyways, but you want to have him if you need him because he is very important to this team. Um, let's just talk about the Western Conference standings real quick uh, as we go in. This time next week when we record – Playoff matchups will be set, and I believe we'll even maybe have a play-in game or two. Well, I have a play-in game, too. Real quick, just to kind of talk about your point, I was looking up something. Yeah. That's why I was kind of toned out. Just real quick before we do that, in the last 10 games, just in the last 10 games, the Memphis Grizzlies are shooting almost 51% from the field. 
A big part of that being Luke Kennard bringing in just his accuracy. Santi Aldama has been shooting a lot better, which is, again, like we talked about, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. And so Dez has been shooting better. But our offense has been lethal. I mean, we only scored we scored 151 points, one off the franchise record a couple weeks or last week. You're right. We're playing a lot of a lot better offensive basketball at the right time. But right. yes, setting up the, the the Western Conference playoff picture as it sits at uh, 8:22 Eastern, 7:22 uh, Central Time on Wednesday, April the 5th. This is our rundown. Yeah. So uh, you've got Denver that's locked up the one seed. Well, not locked it up. They're two games ahead of Memphis. <laughs> They're tanking. Uh, t- yeah, two games behind Memphis, Sacramento. Two games behind Sacramento. Four games behind Memphis is Phoenix. And then Golden State sitting at five uh, with a half-game lead over the Clippers at six. And then the Lakers have surged lately. They have won uh, seven of their last ten. They are tied with the Clippers for the six-seven. Clippers hold the head-to-head. So they've got the sixth seed. Lakers at the seventh seed. New Orleans a game back for the eighth seed. A half game back of New Orleans is Minnesota, who has just been – horrendous lately uh they are half game back of new orleans for the nine seed oklahoma city two games back for the last playoff spot and you'll notice that our boys in dallas have fallen out they're a half game out of oklahoma city for the 10 seed but oklahoma city and dallas play in dallas tonight yeah and the clippers and the lakers are playing tonight so huge night in the nba yeah. What Which matters for I the I love Grizzlies. watching the Mavericks fall apart, by the way. They're talking about shutting down um, Luka and Kyrie until next year. Like, just what an epic flop. And I yeah. freaking love it. And Luka has come out and been the vocal, you know, leader that you want him to be. Like, the heat's on me. You know, I'm going to play as long as we have playoff hopes. I'm not going to sit out. Uh, Kyrie's going to do what Kyrie's going to do, which nobody can predict. Uh but as far as the Grizzlies go, we're going to pretend that they're locked into the two seed. That is the overwhelming favorite right now for the Grizzlies. They Particularly would, what we have left. Right. So if the season ended today, the Grizzlies would play the winner of the Los Angeles Lakers and the New Orleans Pelicans. I believe that the Lakers are going to move up and the Clippers yep. are going to move down. Oh, Um and mainly because I don't trust the Clippers. The Grizzlies and the Clippers played twice last week. In the fir- in the second game, the Clippers were dominating us. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies inched back at halftime to make it respectable. And then Kawhi Leonard just decided he wasn't playing in the second game. He was half. done. <laughs> he was going to save himself for their next back-to-back. They were playing the next night against New Orleans, which is more on their – same battleground here they're fighting so they're going to put all their time and energy on new orleans he played 41 minutes and they lost mm-hmm. and so i i think i'm hoping honestly i'm hoping that the lakers move up and the clippers move down because i don't really want to play the lakers they've got too much size for us i don't really want to play lebron i'm not scared of any of these teams let me no. just i i think that any of the teams that could play in the play-in the Grizzlies would stand, uh, should be favored. Now, the national media will not pick any of the Grizzlies over either of the L.A. teams, but I would do not feel scared of either of those teams. 
No. I secretly hope, and you can give me who you hope we play. I would love to see New Orleans in that first round matchup. Uh, we've had their number all year. There's this looming is Zion coming back thing, which could be a problem. But when you don't play for a whole season and you come back for the playoffs, what are you really? You know, like how good yeah. can you be? And a, mm. a great Zion does change my answer, but you know not to bank on a great Zion right now. Right. I would agree. I think New Orleans is a team that we would very well, we do very well against in the playoffs. Like you said, we own them this year. We play them tonight in about the now. playing right now. It, they're uh, playing now. Yeah. Playing right now. And uh, Grizzlies are winning 21 17 with five and a half minutes to go in the first quarter. And that's without Luke, Ja, and X. They're all inactive tonight. They were right. last minute scratches as we're, um, you know, getting ready for the playoffs. But I agree. I think New Orleans is a team you want to play there. I'm not afraid of the Lakers. I would rather beat the Lakers. Right. You know, again, like we've talked about on here, to be the man, you got to beat the man. So I think I'm talking myself into changing my answer. If for the ease of it, sure, the Pelicans. But I want to shut – and I they, I know they shouldn't be living in my head, but I want to shut up Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Give me the Lakers. I, I want to beat them in a playoff series. I think we can do it. We've had their number this year outside of that one game. I, I think we could really – I think we do really well against him, particularly if Steven Adams can come back. Um, I think for I'm going to go Lakers. For me, to to speak to the other side of a Lakers matchup, what scares me is not necessarily the matchup. They are big, they are athletic, and they're healthy right now, which in itself gives me a little pause. What gives me the most pause is the whistle. And I'm not a blame the, blame the refs guy, but you know if you're not biased – yeah. that the Lakers are going to get the whistle. Sure. They have Especially, gotten the whistle the especially. last quarter of the season to get them to this point. Now, yeah. health has helped. Obviously, they've gotten healthy, and that creates a better team. But when LeBron was down, Austin Reeves, of all people, was leading the NBA in free throws. Yeah. That does not happen. And I know that's his game. It's, he is a, a slasher and a cutter. But – that's Austin not going to happen Rivers if he's does, in Dallas. I mean, Austin Reeves does not get a superstar whistle if he doesn't play for the Lakers. That's and that's what, what he's gotten. And that's what they're going to get once we get there. We know it. But, You're not wrong, especially with as aggressive as we play and as chippy and chirpy as we play. You know LeBron's going to get those calls. I agree. But still, man, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Like, I want to beat – I wanted to beat Vandy in that college baseball championship. I want to beat Alabama so bad my teeth hurt. I want to beat the Lakers. I want to. We're going to. Do I have it. that same break. argument. I have that same mindset with the Warriors. I want to meet up with the Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, if I want to beat these, I want to beat the teams that nobody's telling us that we can beat. Like if we're going to do this, then let's just daggum do it and beat beat the teams we need to beat. Let's beat the Lakers. Let's beat the Clippers. Let's beat the Warriors and go win a freaking NBA title. All right. Speaking of NBA titles, I was reading this today. Again, we are not sports reporters. We're sports readers and relayers, okay? <laughs> so, 538 ESPN's, you know, mathematical wizard that they do. They have 2023 NBA predictions. This is as of today, right? Yeah, April the 5th. I had to check the date. Um, they have the percentage chance that they will make the playoffs, make the finals, and win the finals. Mm -hmm. So, the overwhelming favorite 
to make the finals. First off, let's just let's start at the bottom. Teams that are projected to make the playoffs. So the Mavericks, who we've talked about falling out, they're only giving them an eight percent chance to make the to make the playoffs. Uh, they're currently currently the eleven seed. Uh, they have out of the West the Pelicans as a fifty five percent to make it. The Clippers, who are a half game up and playing the Mavericks today, they have them as an eighty five percent chance to make the playoffs, which means they're going to make the play in. So that probably should tell you what you think about tonight's game as well. Um, to win, to make the NBA Finals, the leader, according to 538, with a 39% chance to make the Finals, this is surprising to me, is the Boston Celtics. That's regardless of conference. So they give the Celtics a 39% chance to make the Finals, the Bucks a 25% chance Oh, okay. All right. They give. Uh, where did my where? That just shifted my list somehow. Um. They have the. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. The Celtics is a 39% chance to make the finals. The second team that they have ranked to make the NBA finals, regardless of conference is the Memphis Grizzlies at 28%. Let's go. So that tells you what they say about the West, as opposed to the East, the next highest percentage, the nuggets at 25, the bucks at 25 and the Sixers at 21. So they've, they rank the East Celtics, bucks, Sixers, which I would flip bucks. I'd, I'd put, I would say bucks, Sixers, Celtics, but yeah, because there's some there's that underlying drama there in Boston with Jalen and Jason Tatum, and it's just uh, Jalen Brown, Jason, it's just not cohesive right now. Right. Uh, to win the finals, the leader that they have to win the finals are the Celtics at 28 percent. Uh, the Bucks are at 15 percent. The Sixers are at 13 percent. The Grizzlies are at 12 percent. So you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. So that's what we're looking forward to. This is, this is, to me, the most exciting time of basketball pre-playoffs because you are really seeing jockeying going on. Yeah. The Nuggets, who are the one seed, totally took their foot off the gas last night and lost by 20-something points to the <laughs> Rockets. Yeah. Uh, who, if you didn't hear me talk about their playoff odds, it's zero. <laughs> I think they've got 20 wins on the season. They're who the Grizz put up 151 on the other night. Right. Uh, so there is a chance. And it says a lot about the difference in the East and the West. The West is deeper, mm-hmm. but the East is front-loaded. And they've got some real horses on the top end of that. All right, Drew. So all to that point. I'm going to read you some stats, okay? okay? No offense to Mike Brown. He's doing a great job. But this year, the Grizzlies had a collective miss of 251 games due to injury or illness. Right. Games missed due to injury and illness by their projected starting five was 94 this year. Only had their original starting five for 11 games are the second youngest team in the NBA 
have the best home record in the NBA, have gone back-to-back 50-win seasons, and if everything plays out, will be back-to-back second seeds in the Western Conference. And that just goes to show you how well Taylor Jenkins has done. What I'm saying yeah. is, if that's not a resume for the friggin' coach of the year in the NBA, then this whole thing is rigged. That is an absolute stunning, stunning resume. I mean, right. my goodness, man. All 251 collective games. You missed your star Ja Morant for the better part of eight for eight games, plus his injury earlier in the year. You missed Trip for the very beginning of the year. You haven't had Steven Steven Adams, your rebounding stalwart since January. We played more the other night we had Ja plus Friggin the, and this ticked me off too on Steve, uh, Shannon Sharp and, and Skip Bayless talking about the Clippers beating the Grizz and going on and on, but they never once mentioned it was Ja in the Memphis hustle. Like Jake Moravia right. got significant minutes that night. They didn't mention that. All they talked about was, oh, Memphis talks his noise and they lost to the Clippers tonight. Yeah, yeah. it was Ja in the hustle. And like he's still taking that product and making compet- – even in that Clippers game we were competitive with Ja in the Memphis hustle. And so – Taylor Jenkins should be your defensive coach of the year. There's no two ways around it. Yeah, and it should be. Your coach of the year, no no two ways around it. And it's the third year he should win it. Yes. Uh, You know, they gave it to Thibodeau two years ago because he resurrected the Knicks. And then when they should have given it to Monty Williams for the Suns for their better resurrection. Right. That being a top two or three seed that year. And then last year, they made up to Monty Williams and gave him the award over Taylor Jenkins when the Grizzlies surged to the two-seed out of nowhere. They were in the play-in game the year before. Right. And then this year, we're the two-seed again, despite missing all of our players. Yeah. And so what's encouraging to me looking towards the playoffs is this team now has some scars. Mm-hmm. You, it's, the te- it's the reason why Sacramento's the three-seed, but I don't buy them. I'm not buying them uh, going against a five seed or a uh, six seed, rather, like Golden State. Like, I'm not going to pick them to beat Golden State because they don't have those scars. They, what they've done is incredible. They're going to, and Mike Brown's going to win coach of the year. And what they've done is incredible because they've broken a 16 season playoff list streak. And that should be noted. That is a great accomplishment that Mike Brown has done. Uh, However, they don't have those scars when it comes to the playoffs. The mm-hmm. Grizzlies have developed those scars. They've returned ultimately the same team three years in a row yep. and battled in playoff games and lost one, lost the series in an 8-1 matchup in year one in the playoffs. Year two in the playoffs, we won a series and then lost in six to the Warriors. This is year three. We've got the scars, and we've got to capitalize on it. And, and home field – matters yes and what else helps us drew and you and i were we're, we're kind of hoping for a bigger move at the trade deadline but there have been two players in the history of the nba that have shot over 48 percent from three in a season kyle corver shot 49.2 and this year's luke Kennard shot 48.9 like i will never understand where he was getting all these healthy did not plays on the Clippers, where he was buried on that bench. My man shot forty eight point nine percent from three this year. Yeah, he made somebody mad apparently. Uh, he has been so good, so good. Uh, and he, you know who's not on that list? Steph Curry's not even on that freaking list. Two players: Kyle Korver and your Luke Kennard. Yeah, and Curry has never been. He's the greatest shooter of all time, 
but he's never been the greatest shooting person. Like accurate shooter of all time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He is pure volume, just volume, shooting close to forty percent. He's never shot forty five or mm-hmm. forty four. You know, he's it's always been heavy, heavy volume. Yep. And a lot of trick shots. Yep. And he's great. He's the greatest shooter to ever play the game. Sure. But he's not Kyle Korver. He's not the greatest pure shooter. Three point shooter. Speaking yeah. of, you just listed two white three point shooters. Uh. I've got to read you this. Did you see Joel Embiid's quote on how he learned to play basketball in Cameroon? Uh Uh-uh. All right, so for all of you that don't know, Joel Embiid is from Cameroon, which is a country in Africa. When he was a kid, he taught himself how to play basketball, basically. And so this is the quote. This is from his, I believe he wrote this on the Players' Tribune a while back, and it started making its rounds again today. It comes on the heels of him scoring 52 last night, half of his team's points, right. virtually yeah. locking up the MVP. Dominating know? in the second yeah. half and willing that team to win. So uh, he was born in Cameroon, and this says Embiid came to America as a 16-year-old. He had size but no basketball skills, and this is what he wrote about how he developed his basketball skills. He said, and I quote, So I'm chilling one night, and I go on YouTube, and I'm thinking I'm about to figure the shooting thing out. I got in the search box like how to shoot three-pointers. Nah, that's not it. How to shoot good form. Nah, that's not it. And then the light bulb went off, man. I typed in the magic words, white people shooting (laughs) three-pointers. Listen, I know it's a stereotype, but have you ever seen a normal 30-year-old white guy shoot a three-pointer? The elbow is tucked, man. The knees are bent. The follow-through is perfect, always. You know how in America there's an older guy wearing Everlast kind of shorts out on the court? That guy's always a problem. His J is always wet. I seriously got in the league by watching YouTube and living in the gym. There's no other way to explain it. <laughs> what so a you quote. know he was watching Kyle Korver shoot Absolutely. on YouTube. Mike Miller and Kyle Korver over yeah. and over and over again. Let it fly. Mike yeah. Miller, former Grizz. Elbows always tucked and he's always bent. <laughs> That's it, man. Killing it, man. But yeah, stay tuned for more Grizz content as we get ready for the playoffs. That'll start into next week. Uh, ready to move into that next chapter and watch those Grizz excel, man. And if you haven't been paying attention, Taylor Jenkins for Coach of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr. for Defensive Player of the Year. First team all defense. Shout out Tony Allen. Yeah. DPOY and first team all defense for Jaron. First team all defense for Dylan. Yes, I mean absolutely. There's like there's no argument to be made otherwise. Your 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 other points are invalid. But last team all offense for Dylan, but first yeah. team all defense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we're down to our last topic, Drew. We are a college baseball podcaster after all, and the streak is over. <laughs> I'll Both take wins where I can get out. it, man. Both teams started zero and seven, but. Yeah. Now, Finished one and eight. <laughs> we're now a combined two and sixteen in SEC play. But your Mississippi State Bulldogs run ruled one of the best hitting and most efficient teams in college baseball uh, in the South Carolina Gamecocks in Starville on Friday. Played a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, I'll dive into Mississippi State real quick, and then you can talk about Ole Miss since I've already started running my mouth. But Thursday night started off a competitive game, had a shot to win. Um, hung with them, but didn't have enough to, to, to seal the deal and lost to South Carolina. It was a very close competitive game Thursday night. 
um, really in it until the, the, the last bit. We lost um, uh, six to four, had a really good chance late too with a couple runners on, but Hunter Hines struck out on a, on an inside fastball that was, it was close, but it was too close to take on a two, two count. And we lost comeback Friday, man, in just rebound status and run ruled South Carolina 13 to three in seven innings, hit the ball all over the yard. I think we had almost 18 hits that night, just absolutely ripped the cover off some of their better pitching and and played with them and showed that what we could do. We we didn't hit pit. We didn't hit batters. We didn't walk guys and actually looked like a competitive baseball team. And then for eight friggin innings on Saturday, same thing. We were back and forth with him for eight innings. We were competitive. We had great outings. You know, Nate Doan was our starter, and he's been pitching really well and had a rough start. We've had three straight games where we've given off a leadoff home run, by the way, which is just wild. Um, But he bounced back and pitched well, got some good middle relief innings. Um, uh, Kate Smith pitched well. Uh, Itama came in and pitched some well, pitched some good innings towards the end, but Drew – for eight innings, we were competitive. But those of you keeping up at home, you know baseball games are <laughs> nine innings long. Yeah. And we y'all, going, y'all lost barely in the ninth inning, didn't you? We went into the ninth <laughs> inning down seven to five, and South Carolina plated seven runs, and we lost 14 to five. Just got absolutely mollywopped in that last top half of the ninth man they just were like it's like that that old bugs bunny episode i i I sent you i I tweeted out that gif early in the season where they're just like like cha-chaing around the bases man there there was nothing we could do they just we hit batters we walked batters we gave up hit after hit after hit and just completely got just washed by south carolina that happens a lot on Game three in college baseball, you sure. run out of arms, especially yeah. when you play two competitive games against a team that's much better than you. We were playing well yeah. above our head. Like, right. there, there's no reason we should have been competitive with South Carolina. They've lost three games this year, one of them to Mississippi State. We had and no they beat business my, they shut out Miami five. I mean, yeah. sorry, they shut out North Carolina, which yes. is ranked 15, five to nothing right. last night. But what came out of that is we had uh, Dakota Jordan was your SEC player of the week last week. Uh, in 17 plate appearances, he had 10 hits, two home runs, seven RBIs, and an 811 OPA. And Drew, I told you in this podcast, on this podcast when the season started, that as Slate Alford goes, our offense will go. And he had two home runs in that win again on on Friday, and he was 0 for 4 on Thursday, and he was 0 for 5 on Saturday. And so what so, you're telling me is that Slate Alford needs to hit two home runs for you to win an SEC game. Whatever it takes. <laughs> but Dakota Jordan hit hit the ball really well. We we played well and like the thing is, like we were competitive um for two game well, that'd be like two point nine games or whatever. Because right. we were competitive except for that ninth inning on on Saturday. So I you know, it sucks losing like that. But then we bounced back last night and beat poor Grambling 21 to two, just absolutely murdered them on Tuesday night, which is Grambling. But we needed that, right? Like we talked about on the podcast, like uh, two weeks ago, we need a palate cleanser. We need that because we got Alabama coming to town this weekend, and like at Alabama, right? Sorry, at Alabama this weekend, and like this is our chance to win an SEC series because our next series is Ole Miss, which there's a chance. 
Auburn, and then you got Tennessee coming up. And so, like, this is a chance to get some momentum heading into that Ole Miss series, who uh, is a team that we have not lost a series to since, since 2015. But anyway, got a chance to get some momentum this week against Alabama, and we need to capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, last uh, thing I'll say, and then okay. I'll shut up for a minute, but our 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 I like our our rotation this weekend. We've got uh, Cade Smith back in a starting uh, uh, job on Friday night. We moved Gerangelo to Saturday, kind of taking some of that Friday night pressure off the freshman. And then we've got Landon Gartman pitching on Sunday, which I do like that. He's pitched really well in SEC ball. This is our shot. We got uh, – it's another, excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series this weekend Easter. against Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, got to get a series win here. Got to go 2-1 at least here, man. This is our chance to get some momentum heading into a rivalry series with Ole Miss. Man, this is our shot. If this is Chris Limonis at this point, it's probably coaching for his job. And this is your ch- – you've got to go win this series to get some momentum heading into SEC ball. Yeah, so – Ole Miss was a lot of the same as Mississippi State, except for the one lopsided loss. Uh, Thursday, we played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Friday, uh, we played um, – oh, my goodness. I'm getting old, Rusty. I'm forgetting everything A&M. these days. Yeah, A&M on the road. And we're winning. And A&M's not – they had one win in the SEC. We had none. Okay. Yeah. And they had two hard series, too. I think they won one against LSU and got swept by Tennessee, I think is how right. it went. Um, yeah. So, much like Ole Miss, 0-6, you know, with six losses to Vanderbilt and Florida, there's not a lot that you can be like, well, crap, we should have beat them. You know, you'd like to win some of them, but they're, it's clearly Vanderbilt and Florida are the two best teams in the SEC. Yeah. Um, and you go into A&M with an opportunity for a little bit of a palate cleanser. And we have the lead going into the seventh inning when we have about a two-hour rain delay. And you come back from the rain delay, and immediately they load up the bases and hit a grand slam, and the game ends. You know, it's just over at that point. You lose by two. Um, Kemp Alderman had a home run late to cut it to two. Uh, But, I mean, it was over. You lost another one in heartbreaking fashion, much Mm -hmm. like the Florida series last weekend. Saturday, we got our first win, and they looked really good. And like I told you would probably happen, Ole Miss changed their starting lineup. They left Jack Doherty at Friday night. Saturday, they threw their normally normal Sunday guy in Xavier Rivas, a lefty, a, trans, a JUCO transfer. And on Sunday, they threw a different freshman, JT Quinn, a big hard-throwing right-handed guy. Uh, who had been doing midweeks and then relief work in SEC play on, on the weekends. And he looked really good. He, four or five innings of uh, pitching, uh, only had two walks, I think four strikeouts, limited a lot of the damage on Sunday, and they let another one get away from him. Ole Miss was down by one in the ninth inning. Uh, they load the bases with one out and hit a deep sacrifice fly with the back up against the wall, makes the catch to tie the game and can't get another runner across. It's kind of been the same story with Ole Miss. It's like you're right there on all these. When you, all you need is that one more hit, that one string that next hit together that can win it for you. 
and they can't do it, and A&M walks it off in the bottom of the ninth to lose by one and lose the series, uh, two, lose two out of three on the road at A&M. And it sets up really weird because I feel like Ole Miss is not one and eight bad. I genuinely I know, don't think I'm pumping sunshine here. Like I said a minute ago, you've got three losses at Vanderbilt, and you've got three losses at home to Florida, the number three team in the country. And yeah. those games were all close uh, for the most part, except for one. Uh, you have leads in two of the three Florida games late in the game. And then you do the same thing this weekend against a It doesn't seem like they have – the character, the the intestinal fortitude, I guess, yet to know how to win that game. And when you replace all your senior leadership and you bring in a whole new crop of guys, it feels like something you've got to work out, but you hope to to stay afloat, to tread water while you work it out. But they just have not been able to stay afloat. And so Arkansas comes to town this weekend, and they're looking salty like Arkansas always does. I hate Arkansas. I want to beat the ever-living snot out of Arkansas. In everything. Uh, yeah. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. I've yet to go into a series thinking we're screwed, and I don't feel that way this this weekend. Uh, we have always play Arkansas really well. And Arkansas has uh, been struggling a little bit as of late. And Arkansas, uh, Ole Miss has only – Arkansas lost one SEC series at home the last two years. Both times it's been to Ole Miss or the last two times Ole Miss has played at Arkansas. Um, and so Arkansas comes to us this time. And so, like you said, both of us kind of want a win this weekend because you look at next weekend being a rivalry week one, but two, a team that's also struggling. And you, you look at them, you're like, okay, that's the team you can get right against. Yep. They uh they won 15 in a row, lost two to LSU, beat Omaha, and then uh took two out of three from Alabama, but not in convincing fashion. And so they're right, not that Alabama lost two was a whoop. 12 to one. They got whipped. Um, and that was at uh, that was at home. And like you don't lose to Brom like that. I mean they did not did not play that game very well, did not play that series very well. So that's a very real chance that y'all could get some wins in that series. And so you're not going. Well, Ole Miss is one and eight in the SEC to get to 15 and 15, you've got to go 14 and seven the rest of the way. That is hard to do. However, last season, Ole Miss was seven and 14 and got to 14 and 16 eked into the tournament. We all know how that worked out for us. Right. So you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, but this is the time. If you Arkansas comes to town this weekend, and sweeps Ole Miss, or even wins two out of three against Ole Miss, it's about time you can put a fork in them because this yeah. team isn't good enough to sweep a lot of teams, and especially not sweep the amount of teams you need to sweep without a loss, like a true sweep. That they're not good enough to do that against the remaining teams on the schedule. You know, maybe Georgia, because Georgia's not that great. But you're right, because you've got Mississippi. You go to Starville. LSU comes to town, Georgia comes to town, you play at Missouri, who's a better team than than I thought and a lot of people yeah. thought. And then you got Auburn at home and at Alabama to close out the season. So the road doesn't get super easy. I mean, you know, that Georgia series is probably one you can win. Auburn, Alabama, maybe, but I mean you're right. It's you like, gotta find you some don't, wins when you can. The best way to end this season 
is to have series against uh, Missouri, Alabama, Auburn, and uh, who am I missing? Georgia. Uh, Georgia. That's how you want. That that's who you want going down the stretch. Yeah. However, you can't need 12 games right. to get to where you need to go with those teams remaining. It's still SEC baseball, and those are going to be. Right. They're not all winnable. Like that Missouri series is at Columbia, and that's a that's just a long way from Oxford. That's a long way to go play baseball, and they play well at home. And so, right. yeah, I mean, so, you got to find a way to get a win this weekend. You really don't need to go eight and four in those last twelve games. You mm. need more cushion than that. Yeah, but you certainly can't put yourself needing ten or twelve wins in the last four weeks of the season. That's why this turn you've got. This three-week spe- stretch is mm-hmm. maybe your hardest three weeks because you've got Arkansas and LSU, and you've got Mississippi State, which is a rivalry game. Yeah. Which, and it's- yeah, and you know you don't look at Mississippi State and think, okay, that's a war. You think they're as good as us. That's our best chance. Mm-hmm. And Arkansas and LSU is better than us, but you've got to win two of these three series just to have a yeah. shot at making a run late. You know, especially, and y'all watch this, especially when you're having to cancel midweek games left and right, man. Got more canceled midweek games than any other team in the country right now. Listen, <laughs> you cannot tell me that, one, we've talked about the Louisiana Tech thing. That was lightning, okay? Mm-hmm. We've I've defended that. I'm right. You're wrong. You can keep throwing it in my face if you want to. The next thing I'm right about is they were trying to play baseball on freshly laid side. Mm. Our pitcher turned his ankle trying to field a ground ball in front of the pitcher's mound. Yeah, and, you're not wrong. And okay, thank you. So I'm let's just not. Saying, yeah. The way at the rate y'all are canceling midweek games, you need to get a win this weekend because you may not have opportunities to beat Memphis and Alcorn State and some of these other games you got coming up. Got to get the wins in what? the SEC ball when you're going to be canceling. Can't win them, cancel them. <laughs> and if you don't do the same thing, and and let me be honest, we were beating Southern Miss. I, nobody's scared of Southern Miss. We've already beat Southern Miss once this year. We we're not scared of Southern Miss. So get that out of your head. And also, Scott Barry, the head coach of Southern Miss, his team is having to play on the same field, and he agreed. This was If you think Mike Bianco has the leverage to walk up and be like, this game is over, we win, and <laughs> And then walk off the field, you're you're out of your mind. <laughs> I just made an observation. That's all. All I'm saying is you need to get some SEC wins if you're going to keep canceling midweek games. How about this? How about we play the midweek games and cancel the SEC games and call <laughs> those wins? I'm all yeah. for that. Especially uh, in, what is that, two weeks uh, after the Mississippi State Series when LSU comes to town? Just cancel yeah, those if, and call them in. <laughs> if we get up a run in the sixth inning, yeah. I'm going to start banging trash can lids, to, lids together and call it lightning and see if they, <laughs> they can yeah. cancel it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, listen, if Alabama can keep cha- claiming national championships, y'all can keep claiming SEC wins and canceled games. Yeah, I mean – the only, the only, I've said this a hundred times, and you keep bringing it up, which means I have to defend it again, even though I'm right and you agree with me. Keep bringing it up. The only time where you can kind of side-eye Ole Miss, like, oh, I see what you did there, was when they canceled Arkansas State last year. They just flat canceled it mm-hmm. with beautiful weather mm-hmm. because they couldn't handle the RPI hit in a win. And you know what happened because we did that? We got into the tournament. You know what happened when we got in the tournament? Uh, we won it. 
So all I'm saying is, I'm just saying y'all cancel more midweek games than any other program in the history of college baseball. They're not canceled. It was bad weather. And yeah. why in the world do sure. the Mississippi Braves lay sod two weeks before opening day? I think Mike Bianco did that. Oh yeah. We we carry a bunch of sod in the team bus. <laughs> he called him up and said, listen, boys, I need y'all to lay some sod in case this doesn't go well against Southern. <laughs> listen, Brian Snitker, head coach of the Atlanta Braves, World Series champion. Uh, this is Mike Bianco. I was wondering if we could destroy your your triple A, your double A stadium real quick so I can get a win over Southern Miz. Like, we, cool got, we, need do- we need dodge that smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Those mustard oh, and by the way, yeah, we're winning it. We're going to win anyways. So. Uh, Mustard Buzzer's got a real good team, man. So, yeah. One thing I missed, I did want to talk about is, and and I'll be real brief in this as we're wrapping up. I know we're we're coming up on a on a on a longer episode, but I was looking at some stats today. The disparity in some of the Major League Baseball like payroll is wild. Have you seen some of this? I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, can, I can tell you the teams that are spending and I can tell you the teams that are winning, you know, like, oh, I'm sure. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not. It's just wild. Like the disparity to me, like the New York Mets are the number oh. one highest payroll because, I mean, they've got Scherzer. They got Verlander. who's not even pitching right now, but their 2023 total payroll is north of three hundred and thirty six million dollars. Right. For and a team that's you, probably going to finish second or third in that division. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Braves are good. Braves uh, are good. The Phillies are going to bounce back. I know they're winless right now. They might have won today, but they're, they're, they'll bounce back. They're too talented not yeah. to. They've got my forever Cub, Cal Schwarber. But um, but the disparity in, in that one, so they're two, 336, second place the Yankees at 268, Padres so at $70 million difference in one and two? Yeah. But the biggest, so... 336 for the New York Mets. What team is the lowest, you know? If I had to guess, I would say the Oakland Athletics. At $43 million. Just north of 40. Billy Bean ain't there anymore. You got to start spending money. You don't have your wizard there. They have got $43 million on their payroll. So that's a, I mean, that's, you're the math whiz. That's almost $300 million. (laughs) Yeah, right. And you know what's crazy? $343 million. That's what you said the Mets are spending this uh, year? 336, 336. 336. Shohei Otani's about to sign a $500 million million contract. contract. And he's worth every freaking penny. Yeah. There's a and really great article, if you haven't read it, about how he gave up $200 million to be able to be a two-way player because he was going to come to the bigs at first as just, like a, as just a position player. Wasn't going to get to pitch. But he gave up a $200 million contract to stay in Japan and be able to be a two-way player won every conceivable award, stat, championship in the Japanese league, and then now is about to sign a $500 million contract. The only thing that Shohei Otani has done poorly since deciding he's coming to Major League Baseball in America is pick the team he was going to play for. Absolutely. Because he had his pick. I believe it came down to Seattle and the Los Angeles Angels. Mm Mm-hmm. Or if Seattle was one of the final handful he was choosing from, the Los Angeles Angels are just a disgrace. Yeah, especially you've got two generational talents and a decent team around them, but you just I mean you just can't win. Yeah, just can't win. It's in but, the water. Yeah, apparently. But Uncle Buck, you got anything else you want to talk about? Um, I that pretty much covers it for me. I'm going to get off here and uh, 
Go put the kids in bed and watch the end of a Grizzlies game. All right. Tell them, tell them where they can find us at. Yeah. So, uh, as always, we'll tell you that you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Two Bucks Sports Pod. Uh, Facebook, Two Bucks Sports Pod. YouTube, you can find us right here, also at the Two Bucks Sports Pod. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know you're listening. Uh, I did have a friend. Uh, shout out to Bobby Felker and his wife, Kayla. They texted us the other day, and uh, they said that we sounded professional. Ooh. And uh, I sent you those messages, Rusty. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe there were uh, – they said that we were well-educated and podcasty sounding. So um, that we had a professional podcasty voice. And immediately my first response was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, I have a voice. <laughs> yeah. I'm a professional of using it. But yeah. I would not say it's professional sounding. So no. I know Bobby listens. So Bobby, what's up? I'll see you on Sunday. Um, but yeah, check us out there. Interact with us. You know, if you interact with us, we're going to talk about you on the podcast. So bring it up. And also, folks, somebody find our girl, our boy or girl, Hand BB twenty four. We want to send them a shirt. We need to know what size. <laughs> yeah, so we need to know. We, we need to know Han BB twenty four, whoever you are. I've assumed it was a girl because Han. I was like, oh, maybe that's Hannah. I don't know. Uh, could be Hannibal. So uh, whoever you are, Han BB twenty four, you got a shirt waiting for you. It's free, and we want to send it to you. So, Absolutely. Uh, and so and again, like it. like Drew said, let us know. We'll get you a shirt. We want to see some social media pics with it on there. Uh, back in the day, Drew, they used to do a, a thing with the Daily Corinthian, and who could have the Daily Corinthian in the coolest spot? And BB24, wear our T-shirt in the coolest spot. We'll get you all on our Instagram. We'll get you on the podcast for sure. So, yeah, man, awesome. Right. Thank you, Uncle Buck. Another great episode. Enjoyed it, and we'll be back here next week. All right, see you guys.